the following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Get me those notes on that feature story we're running, and be sure to pull better quotes this time. Stat! Here at the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, we dig deep to find the story behind the story. Your stories that we've gone behind to get in front of. Because at the Advocate Podcast, we recognize the importance of solid journalism. (sighs) And good coffee, which fuels our desire to explore the important stories of Kawartha Lakes that shape our lives. And we bring those stories to you. That's why I should take this. A broadcast journalist's job, after all, never stops. The Advocate Podcast tip line, what do you got? Uh, hi, Denis. Listen, I heard last week's podcast. Solid, solid stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, the story about no cucumbers growing in Kawartha Lakes, my partner and I actually had bushels of cucumbers in our garden near Cameron. Hmm, fascinating. We'll put that compelling development on our story chase list. Would you like me to drop some off? Cucumbers, that is. I mean, we can only make so much relish. We'll have someone get back to you, loyal listener. Until then, we've got more solid journalism to deliver to the fine citizens of Kawartha Lakes. Hey, great journalism is about great stories, all kinds of stories, as long as they're not, you know, uh, fake stories. Well, we're about real stories, about real issues and real people in our community. For example, Paul Skipworth has a long history as a patron and a performer with Lindsay's Historic Theatre. How long? Well, like way before the internet. He shares those memories with us. A new installment of Well Defined and some good news at the Kawartha Library. A wonderful walking trail that you may not know about, and if you do, you probably don't know its history, but you will. Those physical distancing rules are only as good as their enforcement. Sergeant David Murtha of the Corth Lakes Police Service tells us what that means. So stick around and keep your stick on the ice, eh? This is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. We're able to go out and play a sport that we love to do, and we're able to do it with our friends, which is something that you know wasn't really in in the back of our minds. Say, you know, in June or July, we didn't think that was going to be an option. What sport is Matthew Van Kessel referring to there? Well, it's not like I have to draw you a picture, but if I did, it would involve a small round black thing and a, uh, a whole bunch of straight things in a kind of L shape. And well, I'm talking about hockey. Hockey, of course. And it's back for rec leaguers in Kawartha Lakes with some restrictions. Matthew Van Kessel helps run the Kawartha Fellowship Baptist Hockey League, which resumed play earlier this month. I spoke to Matthew moments after he got off the ice and was in the parking lot just outside the arena, where he was still basking in that first game back afterglow. You're actually able to talk to people in person, see them again, uh, see some faces that you haven't seen in a long time. Um, you know, the game ends, and then you get to chat with the guys you just played against, and uh, and just get to just get to chat again, like actually in person. So it's actually really good. So 
And we haven't even talked about the actual hockey game yet, but I will get to that. But you're standing outside the rec center in Lindsay. How far away did that building seem before tonight? Well, as of a couple months ago, I didn't think we would actually be playing. I'll tell you that. Um, we, uh, we went through quite a long process and it, uh, at times didn't seem like it was going to be possible for us to actually get playing again, you know, through a lot of time and effort from, uh, multiple guys on the executive of our league. Uh, we, uh, followed the guidelines that the city has put forward and, uh, you know, we're happy that we're able to play this game of hockey. Well, tell me about that, about that process of you and your committee getting together to, to decide whether or not you should play. Um, well, it started with uh, um, one of our uh, executive members. He's the one that deals with the city directly. Um, and once we were given the okay that uh, we got given the guidelines, it was uh, multiple, multiple emails sent back and forth. Um, the last tally I heard was just over 200, um, along with uh, multiple hours on Zoom calls and phone calls and text messages, trying to uh, get everything sorted out and everyone on the same page. Um, it was uh, it was a challenge and obviously a learning curve for all of us as this has never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that we have to we had to persevere through in order to make sure that we could play hockey. So, yeah. tell me what it was like walking into the dressing room for the first time in you know six seven months. It was a weird feeling. I mean, uh, it was funny because we were all actually standing outside the building waiting for uh, um, our okay to enter the building ten minutes before our game started. And you're all dressed, um, if I'm not mistaken, in your hockey gear. <laughs> Uh, well, some were half dressed, some were more than half, and some guys were changing in the parking lot. So that was that was a funny sight to see. Um, but yeah, the feeling of just walking back into the arena, feeling that fresh air, um, looking at the ice all nice, ready, flooded and stuff, ready to go into the dressing room, and you're sitting down to get changed, and you know, it's just that surreal feeling that it feels normal again, right? It's uh, it's something that we've done for so long, and uh, we're actually able to do again. Uh, just it felt like uh, you know it felt normal for uh, for a bit anyways so mm-hmm. well I remember this time of year when I was playing more regularly right after the Lindsay Ferry you know that's when we started gearing up for hockey and and I remember that feeling of walking into the dressing room and you know we, we were pretty physically close to players I'm, I'm just wondering what it was like for you so the, actually the way the city has it set up is that there's actually stickers on the wall where you are to sit Oh. Um, so they actually have a sticker on the wall saying basically, I don't know for sure what it says, but like sit here and you are to sit at that spot and it's already got you the six feet apart in the dressing rooms themselves. So in a normal season, you'd slide in beside one of your friends that you know, and all of a sudden now you're trying to find one of these open stickers to sit at that, you know, you're, you're distance apart. So, yeah, well, that's maybe not such a bad thing at the end of a game when, uh, let's <laughs> face it, some guys are more sweaty than others and some of them emit more odor. Let's just leave it at that than others. Well, to yeah. tell me what it was like actually being on the ice. Cause there's uh, I know it's a no contact league, but there's still, I, I've been on that ice. I know what a no contact league will be like is you're still kind of bumping and grinding a little bit in the corners. So what was the, what was the game like the actual play? Obviously for our first night was a little rusty. Everyone was, you know, you know, not be- not the best hands in the world and, you know, not the best passing or anything, but it was it was normal, right? You were able to, you know, you know, rub into guys in the corners, like you say, and, you know, lift their stick, grab the puck and everything else. And the actual quality of play didn't seem to didn't seem to be affected by uh, by anything that was going on outside the outside the arena tonight. So it was never in the back of your mind as you're, you know, just hopping over the boards, <laughs> everything that's going on. It was it. I will say it was weird because you're sitting there you know, with the guys on the bench and uh, only able to have 10 players and a goalie. There's only two lines. So you are sitting there with your line mates 
and you're kind of sitting to each other chuckling like we're actually playing hockey right now. We're able to go out and play a sport that we love to do and we're able to do it with our friends, right? So we're able to do that again, which is something that, you know, wasn't really in in the back of our minds, say, you know, in June or July. We didn't think that was going to be an option. So how important was playing, you know, this real gentle rec league hockey game to you in, in your life? How important is it? As it is a uh, Christian fellowship turn or you know, league, this is our 50th year. And as a league, we took pride as an executive. We made, we wanted to make sure that this league wasn't going to get stopped this year. So <clears throat> there was countless hours um, that the executive put in to make sure this was running. And it was something that we didn't want to have looking back on us and saying that we gave up on this league uh, for this year because of everything that's going on. Everyone being able to play again and seeing the guys and having it go as our 50th year, something that we're going to be able to look back on later. You know, we have to be flexible this year, as everybody does in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's no different in this league. You know, we've got to make sure that we're always on our toes and ready to change whatever the city sets in front of us to make sure that we can keep playing. And if that means getting dressed in the parking lot partially, <laughs> then you'll do it. Yeah, it was. It, that was definitely a, a funny sight today, pulling into the parking lot, seeing guys getting dressed by their cars. It was funny. Can you tell me about one moment tonight that really stands out for you, Matthew, on the ice or in the dressing room or afterward? <laughs> One moment for sure was uh, in the first game, We uh, there was actually a young lad, he's 14, um, and the league rule for our team, we're able to have players from age 14 right up to when you want to quit playing, and uh, actually the oldest guy in our league is in his late 60s now, and we are playing you know, with young men and old men, and this was his first game ever you know, playing hockey in our league because of his age and uh, setting him up for his first ever goal in the league was something that, you know, he loved and the, the joy on his face and the big smile um, was something that, you know, you'll never forget because you're able to, you know, see that kid finally be able to join the league, play with his dad and play with his brother and then have that moment of him scoring his first goal was something that, yeah, definitely stood out tonight. Yeah, you're never going to forget that goal, that first goal, yep. regardless of what we're living through at that time. Yep. Hi, Roderick Benz, publisher of the Lindsay Advocate here. In the current October issue of our print edition, you asked for the story and we delivered as I investigate the incredibly long wait times at Kawartha Lake's only community blood work clinic, Life Labs in Lindsay. The private company is under scrutiny as mostly seniors are waiting hours in line for simple tests or procedures. That's in the most recent issue of The Advocate, available at Giant Tiger in Lindsay and Foodland in Bob Cajun, among many other locations. Roderick Benz will also tell you that we are 100% local media. And I'll tell you too, which I guess I just did. So, <laughs> The Advocate Podcast is available to stream and subscribe for free on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Ward's Lawyers, our exclusive sponsor. Find out what Carissa and Jason Ward and their team of lawyers can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Matthew Van Kessel talked about having to keep your distance when you're in the hockey dressing room. And for sure, there's been more talk lately about physical distancing everywhere as we carefully negotiate the second wave. There is also potential for fines for those who, uh, you know, are, let's say, a bit more lax when it comes to those rules, which can make enforcing them a challenge. I met with Sergeant David Murtha of the Kawartha Lakes Police Service just outside the department on Victoria Avenue in Lindsay. He explained what kinds of situations our local police officers can and do encounter enforcing this new law. People may try to draw them into a debate um, about 
the purpose behind the law, maybe you know any conspiracy theories behind it or any other issues that the person wants to bring in. How do you deal with that then? Every situation is really different. There's no cookie cutter that an officer can use for every single situation. Let's use a very concrete example, the one that would have happened a couple of weeks ago at right. the drive-in. And I, I know the officers were there first to yep. issue a warning. Uh, and I'm just curious what that exchange would have been like initially. So that particular one, um, I have to be careful what I talk about because it's still before the courts. Um, I can explain how the situation unfolded as a whole. Um, initially, there was a complaint from the public that people had not been abiding by regulations that are now in place to protect society. Um, our officers had attended there with the health unit. And between the officers and a representative of the health unit, they went amongst all of the attendees explaining what the new regulations are to make sure that everybody understood as well as the event organizers it was an educational opportunity more than anything else so what's that exchange like i'm just curious how, what that conversation is like when they're saying hey dudes you know you're all gathered yeah. uh, in a group here you need to know blank not having been there myself um i can only assume based on similar experiences that i've had in the past it, you know Typically, people are appreciative when you're in that role of an educational role. You don't really have a lot of, you know, pushback. But with the understanding that if we end up having to come back, we won't be pursuing with more education. It's it's going to be charges. So and what's that, that exchange is, like? That is what happened. Um, Drive-in theaters have very specific instructions that they have to follow, that the attendees have to follow. I'm sure there's a protocol, too, in terms of how the officers deal with the the arguments that they may hear that, no, no, so-and-so is part of my bubble. So how do they approach that? Well, I've, as, a, as an officer, you have to have a firm understanding of what rules you're trying to enforce. And you have to assess the situation and determine if somebody has, in fact, broken the law or not. You almost have to just be willing to engage in a certain amount of conversation without it spiraling out of control into an argument you know you are there to share information to explain the process but not to get fully engaged in a, in a, in a debate or an argument you know that opportunity comes for a person in court if they choose to go that route um, as a police officer you're not the be-all you're not the judge and jury you know the longer that you've been on the job there are some subtle cues that you can read about a person whether it's you know physical cues um, tone of voice posture you know, you can tell when a conversation is maybe moving moving from a simple exchange of information to perhaps escalating to a point of a heated argument or even beyond that to where a person could become, you know, aggressive or assaultive towards you. The last thing a police officer wants is to be involved in some sort of a dispute, a conflict with a person, even though our role sometimes brings us into those situations. Um, you know, we try to do everything we can to avoid a conflict, to diffuse a situation. Sometimes that can be done through sharing information and conversation and dialogue, but sometimes it gets to a point where we may have to walk away, where we may have to say, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry, ma'am. This is my decision. This is the charge. Explain the options of how a person could dispute that in court um, and walk away. Are you keeping an eye out for outdoor gatherings, large gatherings? Are you patrolling, looking? An awful lot of cars in front of that house. This doesn't look good. Uh, that could be difficult, you know, to determine whether a number of cars, you know, on any given street are connected to one particular house. Um, we do respond to a high number of complaints from the public about, hey, my neighbors are having a barbecue in their backyard and they've got 30 people there. 
we've responded to a number of those. How many if you were to, to draw a number? More than 30 in the last little while? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. We might, initially when COVID first, um, when the pandemic was, was, you know, back in March and April, we could respond to upwards of five of those complaints a day. It seemed to die down as COVID numbers died down as well. Uh, but since the 19th of September, when um, new restrictions were put in place for indoor and outdoor gatherings, those numbers of complaints have started to creep up again, maybe one or two a day. We're typically finding, though, that when we get to that house, when we get to that backyard or that barbecue, there's numbers of people that are well within the regulations, and we haven't issued any um, offense notices for that. Um, we'd still prefer to educate the public. You know, that's going to be our approach to any situation. I'm seeing it as you're going in, there's a warning, there's some education. What happens if there's ever a step three? What would that step involve? Well, if there was a, another occasion, the, the person could face a, an additional fine. It's not as if it would escalate to a point that they would be arrested and held in custody or some such thing. There's no provision for that. But to use an example of a backyard party, if an officer went and issued a, a, an offense notice um, because someone wasn't abiding by regulations that are in place um, and then had to go back again and deal with that same person again, they would in all likelihood just be issued another ticket. You know, there's, there's significant fines that come along with, with these certificates. Um, $750 plus uh, victim surcharges equals $880. That's a pretty significant fine. Officers often have to do some research before they attend one of these situations. You know, before attending yeah. a drive-in concert, you know, officers like myself have to do some research and find out what exactly are the regulations here. My advice to the public would be to to do some research yourself you know it's it's really easy today we've got the you know the wonderful google machine that can help us find our answers um, answers to questions relatively easily if you're going to be going to a, an event in a park if you're going to be attending a gym if you're going to be going to a restaurant it's really easy to find out what responsibilities are on your shoulders but i do think we need to have trust in our elected officials you know i i think we're fortunate to live in the community that we do in the country that we do um, I think we can have faith that our, our system works in a way that we can elect knowledgeable people that are looking out for our best interests. I know we're still going to, as officers, have debates from time to time with, with people at the side of the road if we're giving a traffic ticket or in a backyard if it's about a, a COVID-19 regulation. But um, at the end of the day, if you really want to dispute that charge, there's an avenue to do that. Hi, it's Wally Nugent from downtown Lindsay, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast with Denis Grignon. If you pick up a copy of the latest edition of the Lindsay Advocate, great piece by columnist Trevor Hutchinson about a call for compassionate and inclusive discussion from all our politicians. And if you stay tuned right here, well, a great song by singer-songwriter Trevor Hutchinson. This is Two Bar Town. How's it going? Can you buy me a beer? It can't be going that well if you're here. You've got some money, still got the will to complain. I'll listen close if you set them up again. I'll come down 
good song in a two-bar town And for what it's worth I finished last, but I got there first Under them city lights So if you've got an itch I see Let's scratch it tonight Know what you're thinking I've been thinking it too Let's hock this guitar And buy a gram or two People may come, but they sure always go. Buy us some shooters, toast what we already know. It's all come down to a three gold song in a two bar town. But I got there first Well, I got there first Well, I got there first Well, I got there first I got there T.W. Hutchinson, also known by his Lindsay Advocate byline, Trevor Hutchinson, with a song called Two Bar Town. You are listening to episode 17 of the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, brought to you, like all our episodes, by Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, find them at wardlegal.ca. If you're patient and you've got decent shoes... You'll come to it, and it is remarkable. It is called La Source. Translation, the source, as in a water source. But it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's a kind of prize after an hour or so walk through the Baladuff Trails near Bethany, which is a prize unto itself, just the walk. Extremely well-groomed and wide trails through this forest of many different trees, all leading to La Source. That's where I, and advocate editor-at-large, Nancy Payne, recently ended up. I mean, honestly, the word that's been on my mind this whole walk is just, it's just magic in here. It just, we've, I mean, remember, I've, keep, I've, I've been saying over and over again, look, this now we're in a completely different kind of 
tree or look at these ferns those weren't at the first part and now we're into these ash trees or every sort of few minutes there's a, a different like mini ecosystem and now we're at this like I say the only I'm at a loss for words it's it it's just magic I I'm just I'm in awe first of all at the, at the work that Ralph and Jean have put into making these trails but making them so natural but and just, this little this little walkway that takes you over the brook here this little yeah, bridge it's incredible just to walk through a cedar forest and a stand of poplars and past a, the, the um, ruins of an old uh, farmstead and tall grass prairie and butterflies and birds and grasshoppers and frogs and this place is incredible I sometimes hesitate to draw comparisons, but I know you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and I'm just a very peripheral fan of it. I felt, I felt like this would be Middle Earth. How about you? Oh, this is 100%, um, you know, Sam and Frodo territory right here with the uh, with the cedars and the the bright green moss and the gently trickling water. I can just see them stopping here for second breakfast and uh, uh, a bit of pipe with Merry and Pippin. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you had me at second breakfast. Even without the second breakfast, the Balladuff Trail is pretty spectacular. Now, you heard Nancy Payne mention the work that Ralph McKim and Jean Garsonen put into maintaining it. They do get some help from some volunteers with Kawartha Land Trust and a couple of neighbors, but this is largely Ralph's work. So what compels one to dedicate so many hours grooming and maintaining so many kilometers of trails through your own 250 acre of trees and wetlands and rolling hills so that others can bask in it. Oh, oh and you, you let them do this for free. No charge. You just have to let Ralph know you're coming. That's all. I spoke to Ralph on his very large deck after our walk, our adventure really. And my first question was obvious. Ralph, why? How lucky can you be to have something to work on for 30 years after you've, well, I'm, I didn't retire till I was 80, but I, you know, I, I had all those years part-time working. I mean, how lucky can you be? So it's it's, it's benevolent, yeah, but I mean, uh, the, the profit of just being outside all the time, working on those things and seeing the changes take place. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I, still coming to grips with the fact that you're 80, so maybe I'll get to that in a moment. No, I'm, I'm 89 now. Okay. <laughs> I may have to pause here for a moment. <laughs> well, at the time, we, we had two gorgeous German shepherd dogs, and we'd go for walks on the trails every day. And, and I mean, Frank, I mean, I'm not trying to be altruistic, but, you know, two people, 250 acres, and it's so enjoyable. It, you know, you, it's, <laughs> you, can't ha you can't sit on 250 acres by yourself. I, I, I guess when I bought the property, my brother sort of said, oh, my God, Ralph, you're... Millionaire, I said, no, I'm not. But, but, uh, and I had this sense, my God, I own this property. And then pretty quickly realized I didn't own the property. There's a really kind of no such thing as owning a property. You kind of, it, I'm here now, but others are going to be here later. And there are a lot of people who are here before me. You're like a temporary steward. Yeah, exactly. What's it like for you when, when people like Nancy and myself and, and people you've never met, walk these trails and then you bump into them on the way back and you just see what is obviously going to be a glow to them. What's yeah. it like when, when you well, see it's, that? Well, it's, it's, it's great, frankly. And, and, you know, to be particularly 
in the early days of COVID and so on, there were quite a number of families or small families would come out and, and go for a walk. They just needed to get out. And, and that was very gratifying. When we've got good conditions, that's great. We set trails and, and set the tracks and, and that's gratifying too, because I was used to be a very enthusiastic cross country skier. And Despite the fact that you don't look 89, I wouldn't have put you at, you know, I, put, I would have put you at it. Well, there's the advantage of having 250 acres to work on. Is that, what, is that what it is? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't need any crazy internet diet, apparently. <laughs> no. What's it like for you when you're, because this has got to be a lot of work. We walk those trails and, and Nancy and I marveled at, at just the work that would have gone into it. What's it like when you're, when you're trekking through with one of your several machines, just maintaining those trails for, for you as, as the steward? Uh... Well, I'm glad I've got a machine to trek around on now, to be honest with you. It used to be when I was walking on the trails, I'd say to Jean, I, I'm going to start walking out on the road, because every, every time I walk on the trails, all I see is the work that should be done, things that I need to do. And again, I've modified, you know, now it's, untidy's okay. You know, um, messy's all right. Uh, nature is nature, and, and, uh, and I, can, I can live with it. But it's still a little bit of both. There are really wow moments as I look through the trees and watch the filtered sunlight and, and oh, and more dog strangling vine. Uh, can I get rid of that Scots pine? And, and, and so on. So it's, it's that combination. <laughs> it's a tension. <laughs> My name is Riley Ray from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. To contact Ralph about booking a walk in the Ballyduff Trail, go to courtthelandtrust.org. Now, to learn a new word, well, you stick around right here for... Well-defined. 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 What does that mean, anyway? I'm now outside, once again, the public library here on Kent Street and uh, with Lindsay Bone. And Lindsay, hypothetically, if I had, say, $75,000 in fines right now for overdue books. I, I guess I just have to bring that cash to you, right? Is that what's happening? Oh, you know what? We might give you the exception there. Um, really? We're okay. Actually, as of October 1st, we're fine free. Now, $75,000 is quite a bit of money, so I might have to talk to you on an individual basis for that one. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but yeah. But that does bring up an, an interesting point. I know there aren't going to be any $75,000 fines out there, but I'm, hope sure not. There, I'm sure there are a few people who had hefty fines that deterred them from coming in to the building itself and paying exactly. it off. So have you capped it at a limit or? No, um, right now it's just, we want to eliminate the barrier entirely. There's no cap to it. Um, we want people to bring back the material. Traditionally fines were because um, librarians thought that that would encourage people to bring material back. We're actually, it's just encouraging people to not bring it back at all because they don't want to pay that fine. So now we have fines and a lost book. So as long as you bring material back, no fines at all. I think we will see a few uh, books trickle in. We did have someone message and say, hey, I actually, uh, I have that book now. Can I uh, bring that back? And yes, absolutely, behold, bring that back. I just happened to discover it once you listed the Exactly, fine. exactly. It's magic. Everyone's really happy. I saw someone on social media say that was the exact reason I didn't come to the library because I was worried about fines. So it's amazing to see that feedback. Um, we did have one person concerned about um, 
What's encouraging people to bring books back? First thing is just being honest and uh, making sure you're bringing them back so the next person in line for your book um, can have it. So that's just being a, a good member of the community. Um, but we're also encouraging if people don't um, bring the book back, there is still a fee to replace the book. So we hope it doesn't come to that. And they're still a member in good standing once they return the book. Absolutely. They can, they can go back and return yep. more books. Return your books, get new books, get new DVDs, get whatever you'd like. And something tells me they'll be more uh, diligent and vigilant about returning We hope so, time. yeah. <laughs> okay, so those are two words I just bandied around. I'm not even sure I got them right. Vigilant and vigilant. Sounds but good you, to me. Well, you tell me what our... Uh, our contribution is this time for our installment of Well Defined. Okay, well, we're actually going to keep with the Find Free theme here. Um, so now with uh, the whole Find Free thing at the library, you can now be untrammeled or not restricted by fines at the library. Okay, that sounds like a like a flavor at Kawartha Dairy. Hey, you Two know what? Two scoops of untrammeled. But... I might have to pass that along. I might have an inside scoop there, no pun intended. First of all, it was vaudeville, and then it was a movie theater, and then it closed up. And they'd open it up for the Kwana shows and uh, things like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to think it just wonderful to be on this Academy Theater stage with, with all these people that performed there before. That was Paul Skipworth reminiscing about his beloved Academy Theater, a relationship that started way back in the early part of the past century a relationship that was nurtured from his seat in the audience, but also nurtured from the stage where he participated in many performances over the decades. Now, Paul wanted to share some of those memories. What he says is a special connection with the historic venue that has seen its challenges, but never gives up. So do what I did when I met Paul at his home in Lindsay. Grab a chair, sit back, and take this tour of the theater's past. Helped along with the piano of Ben Hainer. I was on the stage the first time was 1940. I was eight years old. And there was, the schools did a promotion for war bonds. And I, my mother made me an Air Force uniform. And there was a sister Paula, who was the principal of the school, she took me down and, and she put me on a table and ironed my pants because she said they didn't have a crease in them. That's 1940. <laughs> and what were you doing on stage? I recited a poem. And I can still remember the first few lines. What can I do for my country? I am young and small. I cannot fight for freedom. Have I no gift at all? I did um, Music Man and... and uh, during Music Man, I think I lost 10 pounds, but because you were in every scene, I was Harold Hill, and there was a lot of lot of dialogue to, to learn, and I was a little nervous then, but anyway, we got through it all right. And then I did uh, Oklahoma. That was a, we did a lot of good shows. Do you know any of the songs in, uh, from Oklahoma? I got to Kansas City on a Friday, but Saturday I learned a thing or two. Cause up to then I didn't have an idea of what this modern world was coming to. Counted 20 bass buggies going by themselves. Almost every you might have heard new Dennis Sweetie. Dennis came here and he did summer theater and they used to fill it every night for that too. And when we did melodramas, Ed would be the villain. And he'd come out his first entrance, 
everybody in the theater would boo him. <laughs> and Ed just loved that. He'd go downstage. <laughs> well, that was one of the shows that, uh, that Dennis Sweeting did, because he was a, a, an excellent performer, too. Probably one of the reasons that, that the Academy Theater was saved, all the people in these casts felt that we got to save this theater. That's when they were talking about selling the theater. And uh, there were so many, there was a cast, maybe 40 or 50 people. And they all said, well, there's no way we can sell it. We've got to save it. And then they got a committee going together, and it was a doctor's service that uh, helped organize this thing. And they had Wayne and Schuster here for an opening, and that's how it got saved. I used to have some discussions with some of the counselors. Some of the counselors weren't from Lindsay, and they didn't think much of the Academy Theater. What would you tell them, though, to, to convince them that it had to stay? It's just, it's a, just part of Lindsay. And my wife was very involved, too. Uh, she, is a, she was an actress, and she did uh, makeup, she did sewing. Uh, so we were both very involved, and my sister lived next to her and her husband. And they were very involved with the theater. And Walter Humphreys, my brother-in-law, he did uh, uh, My Fair Lady, which was one of the best shows that I think the amateur group ever did. Mm -hmm. So we were all, in, all my friends were involved in the theater. And I still enjoy going when, going to the theater and uh, I just think about the days I was up there. Saturday afternoons, we'd always go to the Academy Theater for a, for a movie. And I always marveled at the acoustics of the Academy. They were fantastic, still are. When they built it, I guess they did a, a fantastic job. And my son bought me a seat with my name on it. What does that mean to you, to have a seat in the theater now with your name on it? Well, I've never had a chance to sit on it yet. <laughs> But it's there when you want it. It's there when I want it. And one night at a show, I forget what show it was, I was sitting in the front row with a lady from, from Toronto. And uh, she said, I was so surprised when I moved here from Toronto to see a theater like this. And she said, this is fantastic. She said, you don't know how lucky you are. How'd that make you feel? Yeah, it made me feel pretty good. Because <laughs> I didn't ask her, she told me. Can you sing part of one for me? 76 trombones led the big parade, while 110 cornets blazed away. They're followed by rows and rows of the greatest... Paul Skipworth on vocals, a cappella style, 76 trombones from Music Man, a play that Skip participated in way, way back on stage at the Academy Theatre. My thanks to Skip, as he's known, for sharing his decades' worth of memories of the historic theatre in Lindsay. That was one of the songs. Does that bring you back, Skip? Yeah. Well, that just about wraps up episode 17 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, and 
You can subscribe to us for free on Spotify. That way there, the episodes just magically show up in your phone. Tell others about us and let us know what you think of the program. We love your feedback. The show is made possible because of Ward's Lawyers, our exclusive sponsor. For all your legal needs, they have you covered. Reach them at wardlegal.ca. Our theme music is written and performed by Gerald Van Halteren, a talented musician and a neighbor, just like Ben Hainer, whose piano work really did help tell Paul Skipworth's story there. The Advocate Podcast is produced by me, Jenny Grignot, with some help from Nancy Payne, and this week with some assistance from good friend and the cucumber king of Cameron, Keith Watson. There you go, Keith, you're now royalty. Hang in there, fellow citizens of Kawartha Lakes. We've been to this wrestling match before last spring, and we'll get through it again this fall, provided you play by the rules. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.